Turn with me to Acts 28, but as a Bible, if you need one for the service. Acts chapter 28. Paul's on his way to Rome as we pick up the story. And in a sense, he's been on his way to Rome for years. In his letter to the Romans, which is what we studied together before toggling back over to Acts, in his letter to the church at Rome, he describes at the end of chapter 15 how, how, how long and how much he's wanted to visit them and how he'd been hindered from the trip. But at the close of the letter, he says, but it's close, it's going to happen. It's, it's probably just weeks away. I just have a quick stop to make in Jerusalem first. And that turned out to be more than two years. Because from Jerusalem, he ended up in the custody of the governor in Caesarea, first Felix, then Festus. But then two years later, with Paul having said enough is enough and appealed to Nero, he's finally on his way to Rome. Not the way that he thought he would be. He's on his way to Rome as a guest of the state. But he's on his way. But even then, it doesn't turn out exactly the way that he planned. When we left off last week at the bottom of chapter 27, a voyage that everyone expected to take a few days had taken two weeks, thanks to an early winter storm. And as we turn to chapter 28 this morning, the voyage is going to take longer still. Paul and Luke and 274 of their closest friends have been shipwrecked. Let's read. 28 verse 1. When they had escaped, escaped from the ship because the ship was caught up on a reef and the waves were crashing against it and the ship was breaking up, they found out that the island, the one that they'd swum to or surfed to on the wreckage of the ship, they found out the island was called Malta. Malta is down here. It's about 60 miles off the coast of Sicily. In Paul's day, it was called Melita which in the Phoenician language means escape or refuge. And it was named escape or refuge because Paul and his shipmates were not the first people to seek shelter there. You can see this huge harbor made it a, a, a typical destination for, for people seeking shelter from storms and also a place to lay over for the winter. We're going to talk next week. It's unlikely that Paul and his shipmates made it to that harbor. But for this morning, verse 2, the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. The storm was still storming. And Melita, Malta, not a particularly large island, 16, 17 miles long, about nine miles across. When 274 unexpected visitors drop in, it doesn't take very long for people to know, hey, we've got company for dinner. But their response was hospitality. We don't read that they were intimidated or frightened or, or put out. Their response was hospitality. And, and, and we think of hospitality as, as putting out coffee and, and croissant and, 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 and veggies with hummus this morning. That was nice. But, but we, we, we think of hospitality as, as snacks and drinks. But it literally means kindness to strangers, and they were kind to this motley group. Made us all welcome is, is, is understates it. A better translation, they took us, they took all of us unto themselves. They made us family, in other words. This, this huge number of people in the middle of a winter storm. But just like just when it looks like things are calming down, verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. 
Snakes are cold-blooded, so it's probably laying there looking like another, just another stick in the log pile. But when it got closer to the fire and the heat of the fire, it warmed up and it started to move and it clamped down on Paul's hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Viper, the word in the Greek, specifically means poisonous snake. And the inhabitants of Malta were clearly familiar with this snake. They'd seen people die from the bite of this snake, and that's what they were expecting Paul to do. And, 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 but because people are people, and because our, our minds are constantly assigning meaning and purpose to a chaotic universe, they're trying to assign a, a meaning to this accident. They knew, so, so here's their logic. They knew Paul was a prisoner. He'd been accused of something, some crime. And so they're theorizing Dyke. When, when, when you see Lady Justice as, as, a, as a statue or a picture of anything, that's the Greek goddess Dyke, the, the goddess of justice. Dyke must have, have intended to kill Paul in the shipwreck as punishment for his crimes, but when the shipwreck failed, she sent a serpent so Paul wouldn't escape justice. Justice there probably should be justice with a capital J. And then this is the same kind of bad logic that Job's friends use, right? Same mistake that Job's friends make. Bad things are happening to you, Job. Family is dying and you've got all of those scabs and you're losing all of your property. You must be guilty of something. Now, we know better. We know the universe is just broken. Creation has fallen and sometimes in a fallen universe, bad things happen even to very good people. But that, that wasn't their theory. The, it wasn't Job's friend's theory and it wasn't the theory of the people of Malta. It made more sense to them while well, Paul's a murderer and he's getting punished. He needed to die. Except Paul doesn't respond the way they expect him to respond. Verse 5, he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when that didn't happen, after they looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. When bad things happen, we want to assume that someone did something bad. When good things happen, we want to assume that we did something good. We deserve it. In Paul's case... He must be a god for such a good thing to happen because this is a miracle in their experience. And it was a miracle, but it wasn't because Paul was a god. It was because he was serving the true and living God who had ordained ministry for Paul in Rome and who wasn't going to allow anything to keep him from the ministry that God had prepared for him in Rome. That's the God that we serve. I don't, I don't know that we really meditate on that enough. We sing songs, you know, mover of mountain, breaker of chains. Nothing can stand against our God. Do we understand that nothing means nothing? Then when God says it, that settles it? And Paul, here's an example of that. God has prepared ministry for Paul in Rome. Poisonous snakes are not going to get in the way. Verse 7, we'll keep going. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius. And leading citizen, he literally, it means first man of the island. That was his official title. He, he was the leading man on 
Malta. He reported to the praetor in Sicily, who reported to the Senate up in Rome. Publius, leading man of the island, received us and entertained us courteously for three days. Maybe because he heard about Paul and the snake? Maybe because he's the only one with a house big enough for 276 unexpected guests. Because, because understand, the inhabitants of Malta needed to figure out what they were going to do with all of these people for the winter. Remember, they left after the Day of Atonement. So that's late September, early October when they left. Two weeks later, it's now mid-October or later. No one is going to be sailing until mid-March at the earliest. Where do we put them? Could have very easily taken three days to figure that out. Verse 8, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. And this is actually, secular literature is very familiar with this condition. It's called Maltese fever, which is also Caleb's new nickname. Um, <laughs> the, 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 technical, the technical name is brucellosis, and it's caused by bacteria in the milk of the goats native to the island. Patrick's world of useless facts. But verse 8, Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. And the verb tense for healed there means healed him instantly, miraculously. And when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They honored us in many ways, and when we departed, three months later, we find out in a verse or two, when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. And we'll pause here this morning. Because after that, Paul is, is back on a ship, and he's back underway, and then he's in Rome. And, and uh, we'll talk about that in two weeks, actually. Next week, we're going we're gonna to take a half step back into chapter 27, and, and while the ladies are gone, we'll, we'll look at some unfinished business there. But 28, 1 through 10, I've taught this passage I don't know how many times. I've taught the book of Acts more than any other book, and... I mean, when I, when any, anytime I go to a new place or start a new study, I usually start in Acts. When God brought us here in 2010, we, we, those of you who were here, you remember, we began in Acts. But as many times as I've taught these verses, and this chapter in particular, and the beginning of it especially, every time I get here, it, shows, it seems like the Lord wants to highlight something different. It's 10 verses, but there's a lot going on. There's an easy springboard to talk about hospitality and the ministry of hospitality. Hospitality is a qualification for leadership in the church. And, and, and so, I mean, that could be a message. The gift of healing. What do we do with that? Was it just for the apostolic time? Or, or does the gift of healing exist today? And did Paul have a gift of healing? Could he heal people at will? Or was it just at specific times? There's, there's a whole conversation there. Snakebite. There's a study. Snakes in general go back to the garden and go back to the serpent and, and then go to Moses and the, the, the brass serpent lifted up on a pole, which of course points to Jesus who crushed the head of a serpent on the cross. Jesus who, by the way, said in Mark 16, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons, speak with new tongues, take up serpents. They drink anything deadly, it will be, by no means hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Gosh, is what we just read, fulfillment of that prophecy. A lot of places we could go, but the thing the Lord kept bringing me back to this week is, is back in verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and set them on the fire. 
And we tend to rush through that to get to the snake part because that's the cool part. That's the miraculous part. That's the dramatic part. The viper bit him. It didn't hurt him. But even before we get to that part, we've got Paul, apostle to the Gentiles, on his way to Rome to share the gospel with Nero, picking up sticks. Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, half the books of the New Testament at least, doing the work of a servant. I'm told October's Pastor Appreciation Month. Which, which has to be like a scam that Mardell's or someone started. Hey, five bucks a card. We can sell a lot of cards if we tell every... It, I mean, it, it, talk about your Hallmark holidays. I feel appreciated every month. Every time I go to the grocery store, I feel appreciated. I flipped on the heat to the house the other night as it got cold. I felt appreciated. I put gas in my car. I feel really appreciated. Because this community supports my family. I know Rob feels the same way. That's not to say that we're not grateful for the notes and the cards and the encouragement and the snacks, but, but we feel appreciated just, just for the blessing of getting to serve here. And we're grateful for the blessing of getting to serve alongside such a fantastic collection of servants here. People who faithfully, generously, selflessly give of their time and their talent week over week for a lot less appreciation than Rob and I get. People who experience in a very real sense what Paul goes through in these 10 verses. Paul here in Acts 28, and, and honestly, anytime we encounter Paul, was a servant, right? Paul's a servant the same way that Jesus was a servant. Jesus who tells us the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus who practiced what he preached, who modeled what he taught by washing feet. Jesus who, as long as we're talking about it, did more than just pick up sticks for the fire. He was nailed to sticks so that the fire of God's wrath could rain down on him. Jesus was a servant, and Paul said, I'm going to be like him. And Paul says to us, hey, imitate me as I imitate him. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And in this handful of verses, we see Paul doing that. And here, in this place, every week, we see brothers and sisters doing that, imitating Paul as he imitated Christ. Sometimes we see them. Sometimes we don't see them because we look right past them, because we're, we're not noticing them. We're not looking for them. And th th this morning, I want to appreciate them. This morning, I, I want to appreciate many of you in this room who serve the Lord at Calvary. To do that, let's go back. Let's look at how this chapter opens again. Opens with a shipwreck. Grain transport on its way to Rome, caught in an early winter storm. Breaks up on, on a reef. This is not the journey that anyone planned. One of the things that most of you quickly discovered when you raised your hand and said, here I am, Lord, use me. Things rarely go according to plan. 
first service didn't that go according to plan. I remember when Pastor James came on staff back in 2010. And he came on staff not just because he's great with youth, which he is, but because he had experience doing maintenance at nursing homes and apartment complexes. And I said, this old building needs a lot of maintenance. That's not less true today, by the way. <laughs> but one of the first things that James took on was some kind of plumbing something or other. I don't remember. But what I remember is James coming into the office and saying, I do not get it. I mean, I know how to do this. I've done this a dozen times. It's a straightforward job. It never takes more than an hour. It's taken me four hours, and I'm not even close to done. And I said, the other dozen times you weren't at a church. Satan doesn't care as much about the nursing home or the apartment complex, but he loves to mess with the plumbing at the church. The plumbing, the electrical, the heat, the air conditioning, the Wi-Fi, the roof, the windows, you name it. Anything he can get his hands on at the church, he's going to mess with. Of course it takes longer. Satan hates everything that we're about here. He's going to do his best to oppose it. He's going to do his best to complicate it and sabotage it. And a lot of times, God's going to let him. Satan can't touch us without God's permission. And a lot of times, God says, go ahead, I give you permission. Why? Because God doesn't want us relying on skill or talent or training here. He doesn't want us depending on our experience. He wants us depending on him. And that's not just people in facility ministry. That's every ministry. Talk to the folks in the back of the room. Talk to the media ministry. The sound is weird from someone's guitar, or I, there's reverb or pinging in my mic, or the lyrics are wrong on the screen. Everybody turns around. What did you do? Why did you mess up? Are you not paying attention back there? And, and sometimes it's someone who's new and they're learning a job or something didn't get communicated from the stage back. A lot of times it's something that worked perfectly during the week. It was flawless during sound check, and it stopped working the minute everybody else came. And I appreciate the people who keep smiling whether they're in the media booth or whether they're in the boiler room grabbing a mop bucket, I appreciate the people who keep smiling when things break down for no reason. And I appreciate the people whose smiles get even bigger when things break down for no reason because they know there's a reason. They know that the opposition that we're experiencing means that there's something happening that the enemy finds worth opposing. And I appreciate the people who keep smiling through it. So the chapter opens the way a lot of Sundays open. The way a lot of Wednesdays open. The way a lot of our events roll out. With things not going according to plan. But the next thing you know, there's Paul. Wandering around out in the cold, wet rain. Not warming himself by the fire, but picking up sticks for others. So they could get warm. Right there we see the difference between a volunteer and a servant. And that's the difference we talk about a lot here. A volunteer shows up at places and times that are convenient for them doing the work that they want to do for their own reasons. The servant shows up in places and times that are almost certainly not convenient for them doing the work that needs to be done to bless others. 
It's the difference between the pig and the chicken. You've heard that one. Both show up to breakfast. The chicken is involved with breakfast. The pig is committed. I, I so appreciate the people in this fellowship who are committed. And it's a lot of you. It, 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 pastors talk about, about people in the, in the fellowship who serve, and, and, and the thing that everyone says is, oh, well, 10% of the body gives, 10% of the body serves. The percentage is much, much higher at Calvary. Much, much higher. People who show up to, to, to usher in scorching heat. People who show up early to clear the parking lot after a winter storm and freezing cold. I mean, and, and, and weather just scratches the surface. There's the people who show up early and get here two hours before anybody else to, to open the church. And the people who stay late after everybody else has gone home to clean the church. But, but forget about what happens here. There are the people who venture into to neighborhoods that I'm not excited about going to, into, into homes that are falling apart to minister to people who are falling apart. For them. And man, I appreciate those who do. For some of you, the poor conditions you walk into and, 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 and rough situations that, that you seek out, you don't just endure but seek out, they're not physical so much as Spiritual or relational. Those of you who, who, who step into marriages that are struggling, hurtful words are flying, sometimes other things are flying, and you put yourself in that space. Those of you who sit with people caught up in addiction, people who are toggling back and forth, I hate you, don't leave me. <laughs> Taggling back and forth between despair and resentment. The, the way that I did when I was an addict. I remember when I began serving, one of the pastors telling me, you know, the thing about ministry is you get to be with people in the best days of their lives and the worst days of your lives. What I didn't realize is sometimes you have no idea what it's going to be walking in. I'm thinking, okay, like marriage and funeral, best day, worst day. But 90% of it, it's not nearly that clear cut. And it's not nearly that evident walking in. And Man, I appreciate those who walk in anyway, not knowing, but knowing that you're called to be there. Turning back to Paul, Acts 28, things aren't going according to plan. He's still out there serving. Instead of staying by the fire and warming himself, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't catch a cold. I've got important ministry to do in Rome. No, he's out there picking up sticks for others. He gets bitten by a snake, which doesn't surprise anyone who serves. You know, ministry is no guarantee you won't get hurt. If anything, it's a surefire guarantee you will be. I don't think Paul was surprised when the snake latched on. What did he write to the Corinthians years earlier? Years earlier, he said, I'm in labors more abundant and stripes above measure in prisons more frequently and deaths often. Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Not counting the one that just happened. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of water. In peril of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil and sleeplessness. And hunger and thirst. And fasting and cold and nakedness. And what Paul was saying is, that's the gig. That's serving. 
It's no guarantee we won't be hurt. But what has God promised? He's promised to be with us in the hurt. He's promised to see us through the hurt. And he's promised that he'll use the hurt the way that he does here to accomplish the ministry that he's prepared for us. And there are those who run away from that, and there are those who run toward it. I appreciate those of you who run toward it. Those of you who have made your peace with the fact there is no hiding from the pain in this world. Those of you who have accepted Jesus' promise that in this life will know tribulation. And rather than pretending it's not true or trying to keep it from being true, you embrace that it's true and you serve anyway. And you know it's going to hurt. And you decide ahead of time, God, you're going to use that too. (laughs) Because life hurts. There's no two ways about it. But if we're willing, God will take that hurt, that pain, that, that whatever, that loss, and he'll use it. He'll use us to show people a God who's there with us in it, who comforts us in it, who heals us from it. Man, I appreciate those who serve while they're hurting. And I appreciate those who let the Lord use their hurt, past or present, to help others who are hurting. Those who share their stories those who take on the ministry of testimony we talked about a couple weeks ago and shared their stories of abuse, of abandonment, of addiction, of affliction, of abortion. Stories that, 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 that just go to awful depths. Deep pits, dark places, but, but then pivot on the phrase, but God. I've got so much respect for those of you who, who, who serve by saying, look, this is your story, Lord. You rescued. You're healing. You're alive in me. And I don't love telling it, but I want to tell it because you're the hero of it and people need to hear it. Oh, I appreciate those of you who put yourselves out like that. Because pain is a fact of this life. It's going to happen whether we're serving or not. It's also a fact, though, and we, and we can't run away from this. Some pain happens directly as a result of serving. And, and we shouldn't pretend that's not true. Look back at Acts 28. You know, Paul, Paul is out there. It, it, it would be cold and wet whether he was gathering sticks or not, but he's gathering sticks, and as a direct result of that, snake bite. Thing is, I don't think that was the real pain Paul experienced that day. If you look at the passage, I don't think the snake hurt him that much. I mean, it probably wasn't fun. Luke said that, you know, that sucker chomped down. But it didn't hurt him the way it could have. He didn't swell up. He didn't fall over. I think what hurt Paul, or what hurt him more, was, was how misunderstood he was. The accusations that started flying. The, 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 the unwillingness or the inability of the people to see the ministry that was going on. And if you've served the Lord any length of time, here or anywhere, you've, you've seen that. You've encountered that. If we think about Jesus coming as a servant, one of the first things we, that comes to mind, one of the first things that we talk about is Jesus washing feet. 
we don't always push through that story to the end. We don't always connect the dots and recognize getting close enough to wash feet, by definition, means getting close enough to get kicked in the face. But what happened that night? After Jesus washed Judas's feet, Judas betrayed him that same night. After he washed Peter's feet, Peter denied him that same night. I appreciate those of you who know that. Who know that getting close enough to wash feet is getting close enough to get kicked in the nose and you wash feet anyway. You know, one of the immutable and variable truths of ministry, no matter what you do, no matter how pure your motives, some people are going to turn on you. Another truth of ministry, another, another fact, is, is no matter how clear you make your agenda, no matter how committed you are to paint, playing your cards face up, someone will misunderstand what you're doing. Paul, you got bit, you're a murderer. Two plus two equals four. Now that might seem dramatic in our context, but I mean, those of you who serve at Calvary, those of you who serve outside Calvary, you're at Embrace or Youth Horizons or Union Rescue Mission or, or you're serving elderly parents in your home or, or small children. You know the more you lay your life down, the more you're misunderstood. I mean, just an example. Some of you come here every week to serve. And every week, sometimes subtly and sometimes blatantly, you're met with disrespect. Why? Because you're not me. And, it, and, it's, and it's mostly not intentional. In people's minds, there's the pastor and there's everybody else. I'm, I'm the guy who's talking. But man, that, that still hurts. I know, because I've, I've been that guy. I, and, and, and I'll overhear comments sometimes. Well, you don't have to listen to him. He's just an usher. What does she know? She's the person pouring coffee. <laughs> They're only interns. That guy? Well, I think the question we got to ask is, why isn't he a pastor yet? I mean, the, the, the implication is, is, is either A, there are first and second class servants, or, or two, there must be wrong, something wrong with someone if they're not a pastor. Not everyone's called to be a pastor. That's not the way that everyone is gifted. And some of the most important ministry that happens here, I have nothing to do with. You're no one. You're the guy who picks up sticks. Man, I appreciate the people who labor behind the scenes, and, and we all should. And, and those of you who do, if no one else understands your role, I sure do. Those who clean the church, who mow the grass, who shovel the parking lot, who hold the doors, who pour the coffee, you're evangelists. And I'm not exaggerating even a little bit when I say that. Most people decide what they think of a church, and by extension, most people decide what they think about the God that a church worships way before I start talking. People make decisions about churches 
and about the God that they worship based on their experience in the parking lot, based on the greeting at the front door, based on the the access and the quality of the refreshments, based on the cleanliness of the bathroom, based on what they perceive to be the safety of the nursery, and a dozen other things that have nothing to do with this pulpit. Those, I mean, let's talk about children's church for a second. Those of you who, who, who love our children, you teach them, you share Jesus with them, you love them in, in Christ's name, you're ministers of the gospel arguably more than I am. Because most of the people in this room have made up their mind about Jesus. Children's church is a missions field, and it's the most important missions field because children who don't make a decision for Christ before they're teenagers, the odds that they'll ever follow Christ go down dramatically. That's such important ministry. Not to mention the fact that that children's ministry lets us do our ministry here in in the way that we do by teaching children on their own level. It it frees us up to dig into the the word on our own level without distraction. I've done children's ministry. I was not good at it. I begged the children's pastor where I was serving. I need, I need fifth and sixth grade boys, and that's it. <laughs> and even that was a struggle. This is easy. All I have to do is talk about Jesus. None of you have punched each other since I've been talking. <laughs> if you drop your snack, you pick it up yourself. You're not crawling under the seats. You're keeping your hands. I haven't had to separate anybody. Man, those those who teach children and teach children in the in the spirit, those those who go into children's church committed to you know they might not they not might not remember verse one, but I'm going to make sure they remember that they somebody loved them in Jesus' name here. Man, you 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 who who do that, you're awesome. And I appreciate you. Some people thought too little of Paul. Like some people think too little of those who serve. Some people thought Paul was a murderer. Some people thought too much of Paul. Put him on a pedestal. In reality, he was just a servant of God. He wasn't God, a God. He's just a servant of God, but that doesn't stop people from being people. And those of you who have purposed to serve the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. You've, you've had people think too much of you. Have, be people put unrealistic expectations on you. You're an elder, you're an overseer, you're staff, you're a servant, you're holy, you're spiritual, you're an example, you're mighty. No, the, the, the problem with being on a pedestal, it's really easy for, for people to come alongside and take you out at the knees. <laughs> There's a phrase in German, schadenfreude. It's actually a word in German. Schadenfreude, taking pleasure in someone's misfortune. And I know that everyone who has served the Lord here or anywhere has been on the receiving end of that. Because there's a part of us, the prideful, selfish, carnal part of us that's secretly pleased when other people crash and burn. Especially leaders. Because if he fails, well, then no one can expect me to not fail. If she fails, well, I mean, why should I even bother trying? If they fail, well, there's no point in trusting anyone or, or opening up to anyone. I might as well just move on. I'm going to find a church where no one fails. And I'll look at another one, and I'll look at another one, 
and I'll look at another one. And when I look, step back and I say, well, I'm not really growing in the Lord, I'm not really abiding in the vine, well, I, that's, that's the church's fault. It's those people there. I expected more of them. That's the problem with pedestals. Even if no one sees us fall, which just means that people aren't looking, or they've got their eyes covered and they don't want to see it, it creates an expectation differential that God never intends for the body of Christ. You're the teacher. It's your job to teach me the word. No, God the Holy Spirit dwells in us and illuminates the word for our understanding. He wants us to, to, to read and apply the Bible to our lives for ourselves. This is just a weekly booster shot. You're the counselor. It's your job to get me out of sin. I mean, praise God for the faithful brothers and sisters who come alongside and remind us of the power of God and, 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 and remind us of the promises of God and encourage us to follow God. That, I mean, they're more precious than rubies. But no one can choose Jesus for me. No one can choose Jesus for salvation. No one can choose Jesus for sanctification. I have to decide that I want Jesus in my life. You're in ministry. You're supposed to be an example of godliness. And if you're not that perfect example all of the time, then you're not worth listening to. You're not worth getting close to. You're not worth being in fellowship with. And again, the, 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 the departure, the breakaway from community. There, there's an extent to which that's true for all of us. We're called to be witnesses, and leaders especially, yeah, are called to be examples. But the things that Scripture calls us to, the things that, that, that Paul talks to Timothy about and Titus about, they're not just for leaders. Blameless, temperate, sober, good behavior, hospitable, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy, gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetousness. Those aren't just for leaders. They're for all believers. What Paul is telling Timothy is don't have anyone as a leader who's not pursuing Christ. Don't let anyone shepherd you who is not actively seeking Christ-likeness in their own life. And when we think about Christ-likeness, the number one quality is the one we've been talking about this morning. It's humility. Philippians 2 and a bunch of other places. And what's humility? Among other things, it's being willing to admit when we mess up. It's being willing to ask for forgiveness. It's being willing to offer forgiveness. I appreciate those of you who model that. Those of you who, who refuse to be put on pedestals and if you find someone has put you there, you jump off right away. Those, those, those who acknowledge, hey, we can't be examples of sinlessness. What we can be is examples of people who are trying to sin less. People who are helping each other sin less and people who are having grace for each other. Asking for grace and offering grace and celebrating grace as we celebrate, as, as we journey together. Some of you are probably thinking, you know, Rob had that thing up about children's ministry earlier, and I was kind of thinking maybe I would check it out, and now I'm not so sure. <laughs> That's a rational response. Not, not the not serving part. God calls all of us to serve. We're the body of Christ. Every one of us has a gift to offer. We, every one of us has a ministry God has prepared uniquely, specifically for us. And when any of us refuses that gift, turns down that ministry, the, the, the symphony loses an instrument. And the song that the fellowship sings to the world is less full, it's less bright, it's less joyful, it's, it's less beautiful. 
It's not as loud. But, but even so, Jesus tells those who would serve, which, which is all of us, should be, Jesus tells us, count the cost. Know what you're getting into. Go in with eyes open. Why? So the reality won't crush you. Men's walking down the streets of Rome in the 15th century. Sees three guys working on some kind of building project. Says to the first guy, what are you doing? And, and this guy's exhausted. He's like, I'm laying brick. Brick after brick. And I don't know how much longer I'm going to keep doing this. I think I'm going to quit at the end of the week. Because it's just brick after brick. And I hate it. <laughs> well, he, he keeps walking down the street. Goes to the second guy. And he says, what are you doing? He says, well, building a wall. Taking these bricks, this lathe, this plaster. Making a wall. Do you like it? I don't know. I'll probably keep going to the end of the month and, 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 and then I'll look for something else. You know, it's, it's just not, it's not really fulfilling. Keeps walking down the street, comes to the third guy. And the third guy is, 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 is singing. He's, he's whistling to himself. He's doing the exact same work. He's got a completely different countenance. Though. And he says, what are you doing? And he says, we're building a house for God. It's going to be called the Sistine Chapel. Oh, how long do you think you're going to be working on this? Well, they think it's going to take like 10 years. I can't wait till it's done. How we view the work has everything to do with what we think the reward is going to be. Even after the snakebite incident, we still see the cost of ministry in Paul's life. He heals Publius' father, and then before you know it, everyone who's got any kind of disease or ailment or malady is pounding on the front door. Heal me, Paul! Heal me! Me next, Paul! Pick me! And that was Paul's life for as long as he was on Malta. It was hard work. From morning to night, he's, he's ministering to people. I don't think he resented it. Because Paul knew what he was building. Even more for him than those three guys in Rome, Paul was building a house for God. Ephesians 2, that's where we're headed after we finish Acts. Paul was building on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Just like Paul, all of you who serve, you're building a house for God. And just like Paul, for a lot of you, that's become your whole life. And the calls come in at all hours. Can you help me with my computer? Can I get a ride to the store? I need help with my taxes. The radio station's off the air again. I have a Bible question. Can somebody talk to me? I need somebody to pray for me. Pause. The point is not that you should stop making those calls. The, 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 the point is not, oh, I, I thought it was okay. I didn't realize I was imposing. I'll stop now. No, you're not, and you shouldn't stop, and please don't. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to do, which is letting the body of Christ be the body of Christ and letting God's servants serve. That's not the point. <laughs> People who serve, you can ask them. They don't resent it. They're excited about it. In the middle of the night, they rejoice about it because they've already, already counted the cost. And they know the cost is trifling. It's trivial compared to the reward of following Christ. 
the reward of doing what Paul was doing. What did Paul get to do? He got to see people healed, got to see a community strengthened, and he got to see that same community turn around and reward them when it was time to leave. You who serve have the exact same privilege. You know the cost, but you keep going because you get to see people healed. Not of sickness only, but sin. You get to see a community strengthened, not just physically, but spiritually. And you know when it's time to leave, there's a reward waiting given by Jesus, the leading man of this island we call Earth. And this morning, I want you to know, I not only appreciate that you serve, I appreciate how you serve and why you serve. I know you don't do it for recognition. I know I'm probably making some of you really uncomfortable this morning. Because you don't do it for the thanks. Just like Paul didn't. Just, just like Luke didn't. Didn't talk about this, but, but if, you, if you look at the end of the passage we read, Verse 9, Luke writes, The rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. The word healed there in verse 9 is a different word than the word healed in verse 8. The word in verse 8 very clearly signals instantaneous, supernatural, miraculous healing. The word in verse 9 just means they got better. Which leads some to speculate, was the healing that happens in verse 9, People being cured of illnesses and, and stuff, did that have less to do with Luke's ministry? I'm sorry, less to do with Paul's ministry and more to do with Luke's medicine. He was a doctor. Is Luke in verse 9 downplaying his role as a medical missionary to Malta? And, and he's just highlighting, well, God put us there and God used us there. That would be what a servant does. And that's what a lot of you do. You duck out of the spotlight. You don't want the story to be about what God is doing through you. You just want it to be about what God is doing. And as a result, a lot of the story that people talk about ends up being what God is doing through Patrick. I get the credit for a lot of what you do, for a lot of what God does through you, but, but your response is, look, who cares? As long as at the end of the day, God gets the glory. And, 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 and obviously that's the right answer. Clearly that's the mark of a true servant. The mark of a servant is how they respond when they're treated like a servant. And servants, by and large, don't get credit. But this morning I want to give credit. This morning I want to say I care. And I appreciate you. I know it's not why you do it, but I still want to say it. I see what you're doing. And I respect what you're doing. And I'm so blessed by all that you do, the way that you do it, the reason you do it, and the fact that for 13 years I've got to be a part of it and, and, and a part of what, what God is doing here. Becky, is, why don't you come back up? But, but all of you who serve the Lord at Calvary, and those of you who serve him in your homes, not everybody's ministry is in these four walls, but those of you, you who serve the Lord at Calvary and in your homes and out in the community, and I appreciate you. And I, and, and, I, and, I, and I know in saying that what I'm really saying is that I'm grateful for Christ in you. But I'm saying that. I am very, very grateful for Christ in you. I'm blessed to be a part of what God is doing here among us.